Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. up on our little journey series here, but we've been talking about this journey um, to spiritual maturity. And if you need to, you can go all the way back. You can go on the website and find all of the lessons. And if you have missed some, I would really encourage you to go back um, and, and pay attention and listen, uh, because this is a really important thing. This, this idea of spiritual maturity, I think, can, can be something that we can almost feel like as disciples, like it's not, maybe it's not mandatory. It's not necessary. Sometimes we just think, but I go to church. You know, I made this decision and I go to church and I'll try to change over time. But maturity doesn't play much into it, except maturity has everything to do with what we're talking about. Because for somebody to be born, a little baby to be born and to never, ever change, we know something is wrong with that child, all right? There is something desperately wrong. And one of the beautiful things about Jesus is he washes us of our sin, he gives us the Holy Spirit, and one of the ways we glorify him most is when other people can see this complete transformation of everything, of our opinions and our viewpoints and the way we love people and the way we love our enemies and and, and all of these things. So this is really vital. We've been talking about this for a while. Whoa, that's the wrong one. I think I must put, is, is the other one on there? That's the one I gave you? Boy, we're not going to use that. So here's what's crazy. <laughs> I, I never, like, I, I don't know what it is. I don't ever have notes with me, all right? And then the one time I needed them today, I left them at home, but I was like, I got my, I got my sermon. I got my PowerPoint. And now that's gone too. So, so this is awesome right here, okay? This is old school. Uh, but anyway, um, so we've been going on this journey, and there's a couple of verses that are really, really important that we continue to embody, right? In 2 Corinthians 3, one of the things that Paul writes to the Corinthian church is he said, you know, we were all like people with unveiled faces, and we're reflecting the glory of the Lord as we're transformed into his likeness. There's this, by the Holy Spirit, there's this, this change that's going on, all right? In Romans 12, 2, it says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that word transformation is literally metamorphosis. That's where we get our word from. It's that different. So, so as a young Christian, if you're a young Christian, as time goes on, we should become almost like, wow, that's almost like um, unheard of, you know, to be able to look back. If you were to look back at my life to 1997 as a young Christian and go, you know, that's great. Jesus did something really amazing. But, you know, 25 years later, the metamorphosis should be extensive by that point. 
right? So that's one of those things that's, that's really important. Now, um, so we're digging into this section, and one of the things we talked about was um, just this idea of how do we do this? How is there transformation, right? How, how does that happen? And uh, what we spent a lot of time doing is um, we understand there's a private side of this. There's a side of our relationship with Jesus that, that is required, like privacy is actually required. And we talked about praying like Jesus, right? We talked about having a time of silence and solitude, right? As, as noisy as our world is. And I really appreciate we shared at midweek and some of you shared how difficult it is for the noise to be like even in silence, sometimes you can hear noise because we're so inundated and it becomes very difficult for us to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And so you have these kind of private ways of Jesus because Jesus did this. He went away. He had times of silence and solitude. He had times of meditation, times of prayer where he'd go off alone and pray to his father. Now, I want to just cautious us in one way, okay? When, when you go off and you're having this time of silence and solitude and just like listening to God, understand something. Jesus is not going to tell you something that the word of God doesn't already say. Okay? What I mean by that is we're not trying to conjure up some kind of special message that's just for me. And, and I say that because it's actually kind of a popular thing. As these ways of Jesus have become popular in Christianity, um, they've almost morphed into this idea of, oh, I can go and have this silence and solitude time, and Jesus is going to tell me this message and tell me what to do, and I'm going to you know, write it down. It's gonna, that's his message to me. When really the opposite should be true is we should be filled with his word. We should be filled with his word. And so I just want us to be really cautious of that because we can kind of let our emotions get involved there and go, oh man, Jesus was telling me to do this. But if the word of God is saying something different, all right, that didn't come from a spirit of Jesus. Okay, so just being aware of that. Um, And so we talked about these ideas. Now here's the tricky part. We have to be practicing that. And so that's what I'd like to ask you. I want you to think about, have you practiced any of those? Now, again, we've, we've put a whole lot of things up on the board, and you can't do everything, but has there been a concerted effort to one of those things? To pray the way Jesus taught us to pray, to have some silence and some solitude and some meditation on the Word of God, to have some extended time in the Word of God. Because here, this is the tough part about Christianity, I think, today. It's really easy for us to hear something and agree with it and have no conviction for it. Oh, yeah, that's great. And if we were to go home, I, like, I always picture somebody coming up to me who doesn't know Jesus. And if I were to go home and he walked up to me, you know, and say, well, well Keith, how does this look in your life? How do you practice this? And if I couldn't have any kind of answer to show, there's a really good chance that I've fallen into this just agreement-based Christianity. And so I just want to lay that out there because we're, we're layering on this idea of our journey to spiritual maturity, of being formed into the likeness of Christ. We're layering it, but if at each layer we're just like, man, that's great, and go on with our lives, then we're really going to be not like really understanding what these scriptures talk about. And so then we went on from this private 
this, this kind of private way of Jesus where it's just us and him, this kind of secret place. But then we have read and we spent a lot of time in Romans chapter 12. We, we read this is required in community. Um, it's non-negotiable. Christianity must be practiced in community. There is no negotiating it. There is no, I don't like the church. There is no any of those things, okay? And, um, and that's just, I can't find anything in there. And I know some people will go, but, but Keith, Joseph was in jail for like three years or however long he was in jail. And he didn't have, you know, people around him. And I would just say, if you are in jail... And, and you can't, go, then, then you're okay, I think, okay? You make the best of it. But every aspect of discipleship in Jesus is about not only this private side of our relationship, but this community side that helps us mature. And as I shared a couple weeks ago, this may be the most difficult topic to accept because everything in our culture tells us don't commit to a group. Everything is about individualism. Everything is about, man, I've got, you know, I don't want to miss out on things. So I'll just kind of, and so what churches end up becoming is just this kind of like resting spot for a short period of time until something more important or more exciting or something like that shows up. And we have to understand something. That wasn't the model that Jesus taught. He, he taught a, about a community of his followers that would come together and through the power of the Holy Spirit and their relationships with one another would be transformed substantially and not just as a single person, but as a community. And I think one of the things we all want is we all want community. We all want, like, I want a tight community. I want people to know me. I want to do life with people. These are all things that have, like, popped up over the last decade in Christianity. I want to do life but I don't want to commit to my small group. Man, I want a tight-knit community. But would anybody even know you weren't here if you weren't here? Because it's just in and out so often where you're like, no, but I'm looking for a really... T community can't be built without the sacrifice to say, I'm here. And I'm going to get to know you and you're going to get to know me. And, and here's the crazy thing about that is 99% of our community time and small group time together, it is boring. I think sometimes we expect that, that our relationships are, are going to be so tight and, and when every time we get together is exciting and man, all of these great things are going on. I'm so, and I walk away just so, you know, this is the most incredible thing in the world. But you know what? Doing life with each other means walking through boring times. But I think when we talk about community, it's like, no, when I get bored, I either stop going or I go find somewhere else. Instead of going, no, man, walk with me when it's boring. Not just when it's like the fireworks of Fourth of July. Not just when there's baptisms and good news and babies and all these things. But committing that, hey, we're going to walk with one another. And it isn't about being entertained. It's about truly deep relationships with one another. And quite honestly, sometimes that's just boring. It's not sexy. It doesn't catch our eye. And so that's the fear. When I'm studying the Bible with somebody and they want to become a Christian, what's really fascinating to me, it's becoming the hardest thing is, will you commit to the body of Christ? 
like, no, I'm doing my thing. Like, you don't understand. Like, I've got my stuff to do. Like, I come to church. And so, anyway, that's, this is so vital. And I've hijacked two scriptures, okay? So, I went through Romans 12, and if you guys want to know what that means, is I took the chapter that in the first sentence basically summed up the first 11 chapters, Okay, so what's important when we handle the Bible and whether your Bible's on your computer or phone or, or God's way, paper Bible, okay, if you have any of that, is, 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 is we have to understand something. This was written in a time that we don't understand. That doesn't mean it's not understandable. It means the first century kind of Roman Empire Jewish life is something probably none of us have ever experienced. And all that means is, is that we have to really learn how to read the Bible well and to read it in its, in its own context and all these things. Well, Romans 12, you guys remember how that starts right there in verse 1, therefore. And, and all he was talking about was, hey, therefore, the, the 11 chapters before, because of all of that, now I'm going to say this thing. I urge you. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Right? And again, remember we tweaked that idea because, uh, you know, just like church and community can be a tough thing, you, you don't mess with the word worship in a lot of places. No, man, worship is the songs and worship is the emotion and worship. And well, the early church didn't think so. The early church said when a group comes together and they offer themselves as living sacrifices, that's your spiritual act of worship. Now, they praise God in song and all of those things, but we want to re-kind of get ourselves reoriented to the words of the Bible and what we're being called to. He's not calling us to go to like these huge concerts and light and smoke and all these things and have this like emotional experience. He's saying, no, can you just die to yourself? That's the call. That's what he's calling us to do. And that doesn't sound really great, does it? All right? There's no, there's no club on campus that's going to go, hey, you can be a part of our group as long as you die to yourself. It, there, it sounds absolutely crazy unless it's King Jesus who is saying it. Because it requires our trust to go, I trust that you know better than I know. I trust that you're going to transform me. And even that word, we've gotten kind of crazy about that word in Christianity. No, I trust him. I have faith in him. But the question is, really? Because if we do, he's going to be asking us to take some steps that are substantially difficult and really very much against the norm of our society. And so we have this in, in Romans 12. We, we talked all through it, and you can go and listen to that, um, just about as a community, how we come together and how we help one another. And now I'm going to hijack Hebrews 10 because the same thing happened, okay? Uh, because here in Hebrews, here's what we have. The first nine chapters, um, because right here at verse uh, 19, there's the word again, therefore, okay? And the first... Nine and a half chapters, the author, who we're not sure who the author is, he's communicating to a people who are contemplating going back to their old ways of Judaism. 
whether that's because of persecution, whether that's because of just kind of apathy, whatever it is, that's his audience who he's talking to. And he spends his time, the first nine verses, discussing why Jesus is greater than everything they they really held on to in Judaism. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the high priest. He's greater than Melchizedek. He's greater than the sacrifices. And it's just this one message he's trying to remind the Jewish Christians of, which is don't go back to where you were. Jesus is greater. Don't go back to that place. Jesus has fulfilled all of those things. All right? And that's the good news. And he takes us all the way to that, to verse 19. He says, so therefore, since Jesus is great. Now, we're not completely disconnected from the Jewish Christians here. Because there may be some of you in here now who've said, I remember becoming a Christian. And, and the trajectory of my spiritual life is slowly eroding. And you don't want to tell anyone. And you're just kind of like buckling down. And you're hoping, you know, I'm just hoping that something changes. But you keep coming and sitting here and you just notice every week the erosion. Hebrews is such an incredible book for that because it's a reminder. Hold on a minute. Remember who the king is. He says in chapter 2 of Hebrews, he's like, hey, be careful that you don't drift away. Like, be very careful. If there's any one of us in here that doesn't think that that's one of those, like, principles that we should, we should really be considering, then, then there's, something, there's something wrong. Say, no, I would never drift. I would never cool down. I would never lose my spiritual fervor. Except that's the natural thing to happen is that as we kind of pull ourselves away, we cool down. We don't just automatically become more and more zealous. So we're going to pick this up here, and we're going to spend a couple weeks in this section right here because there is a ton of stuff, and I really um, don't want, I want to give enough time for everything here. But he says in verse 19, let's just go through this, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the way of the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that it is that is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water all right did you catch the good news in here did you catch something that should be like, this should be the, just to reinvigorate a disciple. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, okay? So we're all going to transport ourselves and pretend we're first century Jewish Christians. Because we have to hear, what did they hear when they read this or when this was spoken to them? So therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place to a Jewish person, Normal people did not enter the most holy place. You would die going into the most holy place. Because why? What is that place? It was the presence of God. And the only person that was able to go in there was the high priest. He could go in there and he could be this mediator between the people and God. 
And so it would be absurd to hear this idea of, no, you can confidently, no, 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 you're, you're a disciple? You, you can go confidently into the most holy place. Now, the temple isn't in existence any longer, but he's talking about just the presence of God. He's like, no, be confident. Unfortunately, you know, when you're a disciple, um, you can oftentimes think, man, I'm losing my confidence if I'm really having a rough time, if I'm making some bad choices, if I'm kind of going all over the place. A lot of times we can feel like, man, let me stay away from God because if I get too close to him, I don't know what's going to happen. Except we're saying here, no, be confident, okay? He says, be confident to enter this most holy place. He says, we have this great high priest. So for a Jew, they understand that. We don't have high priests any longer, but we just kind of have to get an idea. This would be so encouraging to them because they would be shrinking back. They would be feeling like, oh man, we're being unfaithful. How can we go into the presence of God? Okay, but he says this, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, so oftentimes this is a section you read it and you just move on. What on earth? Full assurance and sprinkled and washed with water and, and all of these things. But to a Jew, to a first century Jewish Christian, this was profound to them. Because he said, here's why we can have confidence. Now, the sprinkling, and, and we kind of do weird things, I think, with, um, with the Bible. Like different church traditions have taken this and said, well, this is why you sprinkle babies when they're baby. You sprinkle them and they're baptized. Because that's what the verse said. But just because the word is the same doesn't mean that's what it meant. Right? Remember, the principle, the first principle of Bible interpretation is this idea of the Bible can't mean something to us what it didn't mean to the first hearers. And they would not have in any way thought of this is a ceremony for babies to be baptized and sprinkled. I, I grew up in a tradition that that's what happened when I was young, and this was not the verse that's talking about that. But something different. If you, before you could go into the most holy place, you were sprinkled. The priest was sprinkled by the blood of the sacrifice. The door to the tabernacle was sprinkled with blood. Why? Because it made it clean. It made it, 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 it consecrated. It set that aside as something holy. And only uh, this consecration could the priest go into the most holy place. He's saying, but no, you actually have been. You've been sprinkled with the blood. You have been bathed with water. And that was the other thing the high priest had to do before he went in. He had to bathe himself. So to us, this is just like a little thing. To them, they're going, oh, man, are you telling me that we were washed, that we have the Holy Spirit, that we've been consecrated, and it's the same as how they did it back then? And you're going, but, but how? And the, the, what, what's absolutely amazing is we're told in Acts chapter 2, in Romans 6, we're told of all these places. I know some of y'all, you're like, will you stop talking about baptism? Will you stop doing that? And I'm going, listen, here's the deal, is if you want confidence to enter the most holy place, then we have to have our sins washed off of us, and we must have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And that's not me making that rule. That's God saying, no, no unconsecrated person will come in front of me. 
okay? And so I'm not talking about a ceremony. I'm not talking about a sacrament. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about living the life of Jesus and following him and obeying what he's saying to do, not because I understand it, because quite honestly, if you were to make me go all the way back to the Exodus and you're being told to like sprinkle this priest with blood, I'm like, why? Why would you do that? And it's simple enough to know because our king said this is how it's supposed to be. Because our king said it. All right? And, and so again, just starting out, um, you know, this confidence of entering this most holy place. He said, you can be confident. Now, what's crazy about this in verse 20, I just want to bump up just for a second here. Uh, he says, since we have confidence to enter this most holy place by a new and living way open to us. Let me ask you something. When you were baptized into Christ, when that happened, did you, did you walk a new and different way of life? It should be starkly different. I don't care if you grew up going to church. I don't care if you're good. I don't care about any of those things. The, what, what takes place when I'm baptized is I'm saying, I'm not in charge of me. Now you're in charge of me. And you know what? Jesus tells me, like through his word, directs me in a day in places I wouldn't normally go just for myself. He directs me in how to have relationships with brothers and sisters. He directs me through his word on how to be humble and how to love people that are unlovable. He directs me in all these things that even when I was trying to be good, I would never do those things. But he opened up a new and living way. I hope all of us, as we're out making disciples and sharing the gospel, I hope that's one of the things we never forget is that new birth should, there should be like genuine joy coming from that as somebody that's been set free and healed. And, and there's a, now there's a new and living way. I don't have to live this other way. All right? And so this is what he's done, and he goes on down here. So be confident. Be confident to go in to the most holy place. And he says, let us hold. So he gives the community a few things that are pretty important. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Okay. Why do you think he would have to write that? Let us hold unswervingly. I mean, a lot of times I know if, if you're like me, okay, if you want to rip my heart wide open and kind of see all the, the internal workings in here is... I like to think I naturally am like just the apprentice of Jesus with no help. Like I wouldn't swerve, except I swore, I'm tempted to swerve constantly. He wrote that in there because you want to know what? There's an assumption as a disciple, there's going to be temptation and times that we swerve. That we're like, oh man, I know we're on this path, but man, this is going to be tough, so let me swerve. There, there's a lot of, have you, have you realized this yet? There's a lot of tough conversations you have to have when you become a Jesus follower. Like, there's no way around that. Like, as a Jesus follower, I, I know, like, the entertainment world has painted this picture that we all just, like, come together at these, like, you know, crazy, you know, reunions or concerts or conferences or something like that, and we just all kind of sing kumbaya and say we're okay. 
Except what's interesting is there's nothing about that that resembles the ministry of Jesus. Jesus spoke truth, and he spoke truth gracefully, and he spoke truth mercifully. But, if, but here's the deal. If me and you, and I hope, here's what I would say. I hope you don't enjoy uh, strife, okay? I, I hope you don't enjoy conflict. Because if you're going, going, man, you mean being a Christian means I can get into some conflict? Then I'm like, back off, man, okay? But most of us don't like conflict, but we have to have those hard talks. But sometimes we want to swerve away from that. Man, I don't want to tell my roommates what I learned. I don't want to tell my roommates what I'm doing. I don't want to tell my family. I don't want to tell my parents. I don't want to tell, man, that would be so tough. Man, it would be so hard for me to talk to my boss. Or it would be so hard for me to make this decision to quit a job or, or, or back off on school or something like that. And all that is is a swerve. It's, it's all it is is a swerve. Remember, the Holy Spirit has that one direction in him, and it is drawing us to Jesus and his cross. And so our temptation, he says, you know, and hopefully we hear it as a, as a community, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us, of all the things he could have shared with this community that is thinking about going back to Israel, to back to Judaism. This was one of those things he said. First, have confidence. Secondly, hold unswervingly. And, the, and, and so just, it begs the question for us, if, if we want to apply this, where am I most tempted to kind of swerve to make it easier? Is it my religious friends? Right? Well, I don't want to talk to them about that because we might disagree on something. Or... You know, where is the swerve? Is it a dating relationship? It's like, no, man, I know, I know that God's sexual ethic teaches us, you know, that you have the sexual relationship happens in a married relationship with a man and a woman. Like, that's the biblical sexual ethic, regardless of what my political view is, regardless of what my opinion is, okay? Because that's the thing is, is, is I don't really share all of that with you guys because, you know, there. But I'm telling you, like, there are things in my mind that I'm going, I wish it wasn't that way, but it is that way, and I can agree with it and still not live it, and that can happen. You can be swerving and going, oh, no, but I love this person. That's why we're sexually immoral, but I want to spend my life with this person, but I want to do this, but I want, nobody should tell me what I can and can't do. And that's, that, that right there can be those swerves that we're like, but we rationalize, but, but look at me. I do good things. I serve. I help people like I'm a nice guy. I know my Bible. I read my Bible and all these things going, hold on a minute, but, but you're swerving and different. You may be going like this in your swerve, you know, you may be doing this. Let us hold unswervingly. Isn't it incredible if we were to have a show of hands right here, um, to go, you know, if we were to ask one another, I would love to be incredibly, like, patient and perseverant. Like, I would love to be that. I think all of us, I would love to be peaceful. I would love to have joy. But this idea of, I think we would all want more patience. But what's kind of crazy is we don't necessarily want 
God putting something into our life that's going to require that to grow. Like I want to be patient and I only want people in my life who won't disturb me. Okay. I, I want to be mature, but I don't want suffering. Okay. I, I want these things so this can happen and this can be this may be the reality for you where you're sitting here and you're going I really 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 want the kingdom of God and Jesus and everything that he's talking about and I want peace and joy and patience and I'm tired of like the world I'm living in and still live in a world that you completely rationalize every part of your life the kingdom is a beautiful place but the kingdom comes with the king Right. That's that that might be a deal breaker sometimes. Right. So he says, let us uh, hold unswervingly. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That spur on is incite. Like let's incite one another. one another. Let's kind of this isn't just kind of a gentle kind of thing. But, you know, like my daughter comes up behind me, you know, and she like jabs me in the in the six pack right here. You know, <laughs> it jabs me and it's like sends me through the roof. You know, it's like I feel like I'm being spurred. But it's this idea of uh, this next piece of advice that the writer is giving to this community to to renew them is learn to do this really well in your community. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. So it doesn't mean we're not talking about flattery and we're not talking about how can I encourage you so much to the point where you only feel good about yourselves. It's like, it's like, man, sometimes there requires like a inciting of that, of how, come on, you know better. Hey, look at this verse. Look at this. What, you know, and so here there's two sides of that. There's the giving and the taking. And I hope we're praying that we can be people who kind of accept that in a community. We accept it. We're like, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you that you're inciting me and spurring me on to love and good deeds. Because again, if we don't, these are tough conversations, but if we don't have them, all we are as a community is just a club of like really good people. Okay. I I refuse to be a part of just a group of good folks. Okay. So he says, let us consider this. That means you're thinking about it. Who are you thinking about that you can go, man, I can spur them on. Now, listen, here's the deal. Like, be humble because you can fall on your face. You might just be like Mr. Spur on, and you're going, oh, yeah, and I'm going to talk to that Mike Salter, you know, and I'm going to go after, and then you just totally are not Christ-like, you know, and you fall on your face, and you're embarrassed, and you're humiliated, and, and I know because I've done that plenty. All right, so let's not forget, like, this is, let's, let's be humble in this. And then we're going to finish. Here's what we're going to finish right here. Uh, let, us, let us not give up meeting together. All right? And, and I never thought I would see the day. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, could t- I used to just be like, man, I'm just going to talk about, like, these big sins that people live in, like pornography and lying and cheating and adultery and all these things. And that's really going to be the thing that everyone is kind of, like, living in. But this verse is becoming more and more like I feel like this is a verse that you could get run out of a church using. Let us, he's saying, don't stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Okay, we, now here's the deal, okay? We live in tricky times because we have like online, we have like the online service that we're doing. 
okay? Um, and there will be times, possibly in all of our lives, when we physically can't leave our home. There may be those times. There may be times where we're like, I can't, I'm shut in. I cannot leave here for whatever reason. I can tell you one thing. Brothers and sisters that are in that place aren't offended by this verse. It's the people who could come that get, a, that get really worked up about this. Because the people who can't are like, I really would want to, but I, you know, I can't do it and I'm cool. It's all the rest of us that get really upset about this because here's the truth. This may be the one thing that shines the spotlight on where Jesus isn't Lord. Let us not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but rather encourage one another. There's a, there's a dichotomy there of going, he's assuming this idea of when you meet, there should be mutual encouragement happening. Like giving of courage to one another. Stay faithful. It's not just meeting to like sing, but that's supposed to be happening. But he says, let us not stop meeting together. And there's not an accept behind that unless you have a final exam tomorrow. Yeah, and I I know you're going, who who are you, dude? Like, you probably didn't get a high school diploma. (laughs) Like, you're going to tell me to not study for my finals? Listen, I've been there. All right, I, I became a Christian in grad school. And one of the things that I was so thankful for the mentors in my life, and they're like, listen, if you have to stay up a little later, stay up. But listen, nothing is better than being with the body of Christ when the body meets. And I can share with you, after 25 years, that's been one of the most consistently encouraging things in my life as a Christian, is that idea of when we come together to the point where it's like we're going to schedule our vacations differently. We're going to schedule our time off differently. We're going to schedule that differently. Not because I think that, man, there's not something happening in other cities and states, but because I love the body of Christ here, the Clemson Foothills Church, and you guys have to know me, and I have to know you. And you've got to know the bad stuff about me. And we have to be able to walk in faith and in grace and in truth But it just doesn't happen if I'm in and out all the time. And so one of the things that might be helpful is when was the last time you told somebody, no, I'm going to meet with the church, but I need you to work overtime? No. But you can make a lot more money. Listen, here's the deal. I follow Jesus. I'm not putting my hope in material things. All right, that's not pious speaking. That's just... For real, like my hope doesn't come from my job. My hope and identity doesn't come from a degree. My hope and identity doesn't come from being well-known or respected or something like that. But we have to ask ourselves, you know, the, the big picture of what we talked about as far as being a disciple is a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus completely, 100% makes us reorient our entire world around him. And so if that's true, if I have a final tomorrow, here's one of the things, and and if you're that student, listen, I'll take the correction, okay? But but here's the deal. I have never met a student who's like, I got to study all day because I got a test tomorrow that did not have time at other points during the week to study. I've never met one. 
ever. I've never met somebody who's like, they get up at 7, they don't get out of that book until 10 at night, and they get back in. I'm like, no, no, no. Listen, I see y'all at coffee shops. I see y'all doing your thing. You're not missing any of like the entertainment of the world. But if I get to a place where I have a final tomorrow and I'm not prepared and I'm going to have to miss the body, that's on me. Hey, man, own it. You didn't do the work. There's plenty of time to study. But it's, that's for me to own it. Not to go, no, man, I can't go. You're missing the point. You're missing the entire point of this. Now, now let me pump the brakes a little bit because some of you are going, I'm awesome because I never miss. Okay? And you're going to go, man, you're just being a jerk to everybody. But here's the deal. Just because you don't miss doesn't mean you're being faithful. Okay? I mean, there's plenty of folks. Man, my seat is here every single week and my heart is dead. All right? This meeting together implies that we're coming together in life. We're coming together to encourage one another. We're coming together not to attend something, but to be a part of one another's lives. Right? To know who has needs? Who, who has needs? And we have to know. We've got to talk about that. And we've got to have times together to do that. And sometimes, I'll tell you this, there's some of you, this is the only time I get to see your face. And, and it encourages me. I love that. Because our lives are just going in all kinds of different ways. I love to know that I can come on Sunday and see folks that I may not see an entire week. I love, I love that. But the question, so just want to put it out there. Have you ever said no? Have you talked to your boss before and said, hey, I can't work on Sunday? I just can't do it. And you're going, what kind of crackpot is this guy? Like, you don't have to be a Christian and do all these things. And I would argue, yes, you do. Like, when I, when I died to myself and rose again in baptism, I said, Jesus is my king. How he wants my life to go is where I'll go. And everything else is secondary. And I wonder if those conversations are having as much, have, uh, have been had as much anymore. It, it, it's interesting. My parents, I've shared this with you guys. My parents became Christians in their 60s. Okay? And... Um, and what's fascinating is, you, you know, you always say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, you can, okay? And th these are my folks who really were upset at the church for quite a while, and then they started studying the Bible and realized we need to become disciples of Jesus. And what's fascinating about that is we lived in a church culture where it, would actually, it was actually weird if you weren't at church. Like, it was weird, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding you. Like, like, I'm not saying not going on vacation and all those things, but we would even have, like, work parties where the entire church came and, like, picked weeds and mowed lawns and, and Mike tried to catch things on fire, you know. But that, that is so weird that when my parents, over the years, my parents started seeing, like, hey, this is kind of, like, waning. And I remember them going, what are people thinking? Why wouldn't you want to be with the body? Why wouldn't you reschedule things to be with the body? Why wouldn't you? Man, you know, we, we can share so many great things, but I mean, even, so this idea of not stop meeting together, but also even just this idea of, man, we have people getting baptized. It always kind of breaks my heart a little bit when we've got something better to do. You know, because I'm like, this is a, I get to see this miracle in front of me. Like, I got to see Aiden and a miracle in front of me. 
you know? But it's so easy to forget. Oh, man, I, I, you know, I'm kind of hungry. I kind of want to do this, and I kind of want to do that. And you think about it, if you had friends that way, that was like, no, nah, man, I'm not getting together. I'm hungry right now, or I'm tired, or I'm, you know, whatever it is, um, we would feel really a little bit neglected, I think. Now, what's tough about this message here, oftentimes the people that need to hear it aren't here. <laughs> okay, so, so some of y'all are going, why are you angry at me? <laughs> I'm here, man, you know? But, but, but here's the deal is, it's, again, we're, we're not a, and can't be a preacher-centric like community. It's got to be like all of us in small groups spurring one another on, teaching these things, giving a phone call, um, hey, missed you today. I think I've angered so many people with that phone call recently. Hey, missed you. Why are you checking up on me? Gum. Like if my son didn't come for dinner, I'd call him because I love him. Like, hey, missed you at dinner. Why are you calling me? What's your problem? You trying to control me? You know? I'm like, no, I just missed you at dinner. Like, why is that so bad? Like, I, I'm not kidding you. Like, one of the hardest calls I have to make during the week is to assess how angry the person's going to be that I call and go, hey, missed you on Sunday. Like, whoa, you made that weird in a hurry, Keith. I'm like, no, I believe that we should be all the time. Like, that's all in to this community. And, and I do, I appreciate that we have a, a large number of brothers and sisters that share that. I love that. But also, I think we can hear what he's saying. He said, let's not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Okay? And, and again, you may be, there may be all kinds of, like, excuses swirling in your brain. Like all kinds of things that sound super reasonable and super rational and all of these other reasons. And I'm telling you, don't let Satan fool you. <laughs> okay? Do not. There is, it, like I said, the, one of the principles that I have appreciated maybe more than any other is when I was mentored to learn about this. And, and above all, I am all in okay and that means there's there is sacrifice but you know what there's not one sacrifice i've made that i've ever regretted making there have been times i've walked into church angry and tired and i almost never walk out that way isn't that crazy like we have a bunch of people we shouldn't all be getting along people (laughs) and an angry tired person can walk in and come out going man you know what god's pretty good what's my problem this is, a, this is a great family to be a part of. So anyway, listen, we're not doing this justice. Uh, you know, if you're thinking, golly, we have to go through that again. We're going to start right here next week. Okay? This is where we're going to start. And so, listen, if you're here, you can't not be here because I'm going to call you. No, I'm <laughs> but, So you've known, you've been warned. Um, but I will say this, a practical that I would really encourage us to take away from this, okay, because he's telling this, he's, he's giving this instruction to these folks, is me and you might be the most blind person in our lives to ourselves. As much as we think we know ourselves, that we may be the most blind, all right? One practical thing I would just encourage us all to do is do a time audit this week. Like every hour, where are you spending your time and what are you doing? Okay, not to correct you, not to make you feel guilty, not to make you feel shame, but it's just like a budget. 
When you like take your budget and you itemize everything and you see where your money's going, it blows your mind to go, wow, how did I spend, you know, $600 on Taco Bell last month? You know, it's legit, right? I needed that pay raise to cover that Taco Bell, man. But, but we don't know. We don't realize what adds up. And I would just encourage you, do a time audit. Take two weeks or a week or two weeks and just every single day, where am I this hour and what am I doing? And then we'll be able to look at it and get a good idea because I know we're all busy, but sometimes when you look at that, when I look at mine, I'm like, I'm not as busy as I thought. I'm not, I'm not as busy as I thought, right? So that's the takeaway, and then we're going to jump back into this here. Again, if you're feeling all guilty, and you're feeling all ashamed, and you're feeling all that, I'm going to tell you, like, pump the brakes for one second, all right? But I do want you to feel conviction. That's different. Guilt, shame is different than conviction, all right? And so we got to understand the differences in those, um, but you can keep on reading through this passage. Uh, you can study it this week and go check my math on this and make sure I wasn't just making something up. Okay. Uh, but before we end, let's pray and then we will uh, continue. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.